Hello. Welcome to Bandology, episode one. That's us. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Should we introduce ourselves? Sure. I'm John Sheena. Uh, and I'm also John Sheena. Okay. Ben. I like Barrett. <laughs> this is actually a good leeway into today's episode because Animal Collective is our first band we're going to do. And it's pretty complicated as far as bands go. Um, so welcome to Bandology. Our debut episode. And uh, uh, we had a good what 20 minutes of technical hurdles before hitting records so. yeah so we're off to a great start what we're going to try to accomplish today on bandology is mike and i are both huge music nerds and there's just so much music out there in the world that it's just impossible to know everything it's impossible to hear everything and there's those bands out there that you hear and you know oh i should check them out i should check them out and you never do so today we're going to yeah, attempt totally. to just uh, give a little primer uh, on any given band, bands we're passionate about, bands we've been listening to forever and ever and ever, bands that each of us as individuals have deep relationships with, and maybe it'll be a thing that interests the listeners in the greater world at large as well. Yeah, we're really excited, and I'm extra excited because today I get to be the music nerd, and I get to mansplain to Mike over here all about Animal Collective, which is by far over the past two decades easily, I think, one of the most influential bands, one of the most important bands, has an amazing trajectory, each album extremely different than the other. I would even say that each album paved the way for a new genre of music that other bands would rip off. But also this is somewhat of a... Animal Collective is somewhat of a abrasive band at points. So, seeing how this is our first episode and you're a new listener, bear with us because this is an exciting journey that you're about to hear. We're going to take <laughs> you all over the place with this band. This band goes everywhere. So, how we like to start things off at Bandology is, today I'm going to be the music expert and I'm going to ask Mike, you are not, you don't really know Animal Collective that well. I, I don't know him that well. I remember 02, 03... Uh, back in the, the waning days of Napster and LimeWire, a lot of my uh, noise scene friends were really into them. Um, they always had CDRs of Animal Collective kicking around that they had downloaded. And I, it was one of those things that was just always like, oh, I'll check it out, I'll check it out. And then I started hearing it like you know, on college radio, songs here and there. And I was kind of asked after they crested. And I was just like, yeah, it was, it's all right. I, I, I never bothered picking up an album. Probably played them a few times on my radio show, but never it never was a thing that I needed to take home and keep in my headphones or play in the car while driving. So, Man, God, I'm so excited for this episode today. <laughs> so why Animal Collective will be a little bit difficult to talk about is... They're kind of a loose band. Animal Collective is a bunch of high school friends from the Baltimore area in Baltimore. And the main two songwriters are David Portner, also known as Avitaire, Noah Lennox, also known as Panda Bear, and then their high school friends Josh Dibb, known as Deacon, and Brian Wheats, known as The Geologist. Uh, for the ease of this episode and for the ease of talking about Animal Collective as a whole, we're going to try to probably use their monikers. It'll just be a little bit easier. And that's Sounds fine to me. Awesome, because there, there's going to be people coming in and out of these of these albums. So Animal Collective is a loose concept, and in the words of the geologist, the idea is we're going to put these CDs out, 
and whoever plays on the record will put their names on the cover and it'll be some combination of the four of us. And that's mainly what they've done. So their first album was called Spirits They've Gone, Spirits They Vanished. And basically it was just an AV Terra album. And he had his friend Noel Lennox, AKA Panda Bear, play drums on various tracks. After the album was done, AV listened to it and he thought, oh wow, Noah really added, or sorry, Panda Bear really added a lot to the album. I'm gonna put his name on there and you know, he's my buddy. And then later as Animal Collective started being threshed out, they went back and said, you know, this really is an Animal Collective album more than just an AV Terra album. So we're gonna jump right into it and we're gonna talk about what you just heard after it. We're gonna play the song April and the Phantom, which is the second track off of Spirits They've Gone, Spirits They've Vanished. Basically, it's an AV Terra song with Panda Bear playing the drums. And just a nod to, if you're hearing Animal Collective for the first time, this is going to be a little bit abrasive, but please stick with us because we have so much amazing music to get to. And Mike, is this your first time hearing this song? Uh, possibly. Okay, let's find out. <laughs>
So what'd you think? Uh, it was a lot. Uh, that was their first album. Oh yeah. Do you want to hear some stats? What year was it? Oh my God. So this is pre nine 11. We're talking here. Okay. We're talking. So the official release of this album was in August, 2000. And to give you a little bit of a sense of what was big then in music wise, the number one hit in uh, August of 2000 was in sync's. It's going to be me. So if you can get in your time machine. Oh Jesus. I know. Right. So kind of the height of pop. I'm like, trying to remember like August, 2000. That was like, uh, yeah, I was living in my first apartment that summer. I was working at a Cumberland Farms. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely. I mean, it's. I think NSYNC, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. I mean, that was still what was raining on the radio. Yeah. And those were so terrible years. They were pretty bad years, and I think that 2000, 2001 started to see the the comeback of indie. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if I want to say that it's comeback of indie because it was it was a there was a sea change that I remember. And that that out that that song actually was a good uh, example of that because it was like you know the Sonic Youth '90s noisy, big guitars, a lot of feedback. Uh, that quickly disappeared over the next like four years, and things became more um, yeah flowery, more psychedelic, uh, had more of like a '60s '70s vibe going on. And that song definitely had like it reminded me a lot of uh, the Elephant Six Collective, um, Olivia Tremor Control, Elf Power. <laughs> Yeah, that that collective people out of Chapel Hill, which was active in the '90s, um, but it kind of struck me as like similar to like uh, Olivia Tremor Control because it's like a lot really dense, a lot of weird sounds, but this really kind of Beatles-esque song at the core of it. You know, I'm glad you brought the Beatles because I was thinking about the main the main core of this band is is Avi Tarrant Panda Bear. And I do like, I'm not trying to, I know it's easy to go to the Beatles and say, oh, oh yeah, Beatles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everyone goes to the Beatles. But yeah, like Beatles and Beach Boys. And then there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, took that, you know, like when uh, home eight tracks got pretty affordable, they were just like, oh, we can just do really dense layered stuff. And even the, the writing partnership between John Lennon and Paul McCartney, I think as we go through the discography of this band, you're going to see a lot of melding of Dave and Noah of baby Tam Panda bear. And I mean, they really, the, the, the core of the band is the two of them. And it's, it's kind of neat, like a John, a John and Paul relationship because they hated each other. <laughs> One of them died. <laughs> Not at first. With a clone. <laughs> uh, exactly. In a way the John and Paul relationship as in when the Beatles started, they were writing together and they would work on songs together. And you're going to see as we go, how, the, the line gets blurred on the next album. But yeah, to, to talk about the, the DIY, the lo-fi sound of what we just heard, A.V. Tear basically recorded the whole album on a Tascam 48, on a reel-to-reel recorder at his parents' house in Baltimore. And the big inspiration for this album for him came from, he moved to New York City, and he basically had one friend, which was the geologist, who was also living in New York at the time. You look so sad saying that. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I feel bad for him. I mean, this, this, it's a I, big city to only have one friend in. I, I lived in New York City, too, and it and it's, it's can be an amazingly lonely place if, if uh, yeah, you don't have a, a group to reach out to. And, and that's kind of was the inspiration for the album. It's The whole album, as you can tell by the title, Spirits They've Gone, Spirits They've Vanished, uh, it's very whimsical. He the unfortunately only hearing one song and we'll play a clip for you in a second of another track but yeah he he made this whole album that was just whimsical and it was a story about about a young boy named av and his friend panda bear and they roamed through the land and seeing this and seeing that 
and I guess maybe it was escapism for what he was going through at the time, living in New York and basically living on his own. The one other amazing thing that trajected them on to become a successful band from the beginning is around this time that this album was released, A.V. Terra worked at a record store in New York City called Other Music. And Other Music specialized in really curated underground, rare stuff. Basically, Other Music was a record store that you could walk into. And what, what's new? What's, what, like, what's something that, that I can hear before anyone else does? It closed down in 2016, which is a real shame. And there's actually a music documentary being made right now about it. Um, but it's, it was kind of the heartbeat of the New York City underground. And A.B. Terra was, was working there. And, and when Noah, when Panda Bear moved to New York City, A.B. got him a job there as well. So you had both of them working at other music. And the funny thing, too, to kind of talk about, you know, A.B. was living in New York and he only had one friend and he made this album. He also, they tried to put him on the floor of the record store and he had a horrible time talking to customers. So he was basically like doing receiving and, and checking for albums. So kind of give you an idea of who he is as an artist. I mean, you can definitely tell he's kind of a shy introvert, at least in the beginning. And, and one thing that also shows in that, if you listen to the mix of what we just heard, his voice is buried in there. Yeah. You could barely hear his voice. And it's funny, as we go through the discography, keep listening to A.V. Terra's voice. It gets louder and louder as the records <laughs> get more and more produced. So do you want to hear another clip? Sure, let's hear another clip. So we're listening to a clip here of a song called Chocolate Girl, and it's the fifth track on the album. And I wanted to ask you, Mike, to let our listeners know a little bit about ourselves. I've always known you as the noise guy, and you've always been really deep in the noise scene here in New England, and maybe the whole East Coast. Well, probably not the East Coast. <laughs> so what, what are your thoughts about kind of like the, the DIY-ness, the, the, the abrasiveness of this album? Uh, it doesn't sound abrasive to me. <laughs> it sounds really glittery and flowery. I think a lot of people would come to it as that, but um, yeah, I think having listened to so much noise for so long and like you know the, the poppiness of it really shines brightly. You know, it's funny because when they were trying, when they made this album and they were trying to send it to record labels and distributors, no one gave it the time of day. And even one distributor said, "This hurts my dog's ears. Like I, I, I can't, I, I can't do anything <laughs> with this." So. Uh, I think that they were both working on other music and that was so important to, to the band because other music gave them their first review 
and they gave him their first title card. And they were able to get booked shows through people who worked there who also had bands. So they were really right place, right time. They were living in New York City and New York City would become the hub of the music scene with the Strokes, Yeah, TV on the radio. They were working at the, the coolest, most important record store in New York City at the time. And they were making really interesting music. Yeah. So and, and especially if you think about like 2000, like you know, you compare it to the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and the Strokes, who are doing like pretty much more straight ahead rock and roll. Converse, you know, versus like trying to think what else was going on. Like, you know, like I think bedroom DJs were still really big at that point. Like everyone was doing like their bedroom house and jungle mixtapes. Oh yeah, definitely. And, uh, and and you know, it was like this weird mixing point of. I don't know because I came from a, I, I came to everything from like a big like metal and industrial music background, and I was really into like sub pop records stuff in the '90s and like. But yeah, this is just like kind of out of left field, and it was a game changer. Definitely, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we're forgetting that corn limp biscuit. I mean, yeah, the new metal years <laughs> that was a huge dominant thing. Like, uh, yeah, like the, the and I think like still like a lot of hardcore was still. You know, hadn't totally fully gone into like the the macho bro thing that it is now. It was still like a little bit of that emotional, but it was still like the hot, it was like at that hot topic level of things. Absolutely, yeah, like emo was really starting to crest as what it became in the mid aughts, and so we definitely agree then that that what we just heard and what we're hearing is you know something that isn't out of left field, something that's yeah. different. Yeah, I, I I think also it's a, it's fun to point out that I remember like. Animal Collective being one of those like, oh, you're a hipster. You listen to yeah, Animal Collective, <laughs> and it's just like one of those bands that like no one gets. <laughs> but like, it's like you actually listen, do you actually like it, or you just listen to it because people tell you it's it's cool? I was really fortunate where I, I think I heard it in 2002 from my friend Joe Siegel. We always uh, shared music together, and when I heard that that first track that we played today, April and the Phantom. I always feel like when you hear music that you love for the first time, you know within the first note. And when I, even when the distortion came, it just grabbed me. And and at that time in 2002, it was definitely something that just grabbed my attention. Was totally out oh, of totally, field. Sure. And I was like immediately a, a fan. And I was lucky enough to, before I moved to New York City, I would go down and I and I actually, other music was my favorite record store in the world. And that's where my friend Joe got the CD and I found the title card. There they were. I, bu- I bought a CD, which goes for like, you know, 50 bucks on Discogs right now. Sure. So I'm happy about that. Um, so maybe we should leeway into, we're going to skip a few albums of Animal Collective. Um, Cause they, they were, they were pretty prolific through those years. As yeah. I remember, cause they did a lot of like raw, more raw experimental stuff. And then they would do like the song oriented stuff. Right, so thank you for bringing that up because we're going to skip all that raw experimental <laughs> stuff. And uh, in the year 2004, everything up until then they released themselves. And now they're signed to an indie label, Fat Cat, which I think is out of England. Yeah, yeah English remember, label. Yeah. And so this came out, we're about to hear a song called Who Could Win a Rabbit. This came out in May 3rd of 2004. To give you a little bit of perspective, the number one hit in the United States was Usher featuring Little John and Ludacris. That song, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, it's getting hot in here. <laughs> it's getting hot in here, baby. Uh, so do you want to hear this track? Yeah, play it. Cool. We mean the, um, no, we mean the store right here. The new stamp. Uh-oh. man coming around. Right, so.
So what'd you think? Yeah, like you were saying, like his voice gets louder and louder as each album comes. Yeah. It's like it's way more up in the mix, but it's like it's layered and they're all like slightly affected, so you still can't really understand what he's saying. Right. So it's like it's just like this becomes this other like harmonic or uh, melodic element in the song. There's lyrics involved in it, but even when you can pick them out, they're just kind of nonsensical. I'm glad you caught all that. So now instead of where the first album we listened to is just AV Terror mainly recording and doing everything himself and then Noah coming in, Panda Bear playing drums. This time now we have a marriage of AV Terror and Panda Bear. We have Animal Collective. They're both singing this time. Ah. Ah. And they're both playing guitar. And they're both Yeah, that was doing- the thing. There wasn't there wasn't like the strong drum element like there was with the first album. There were rhythms, but they were more constructed out of the tape loops and other noises that they had going on. So they like had all these weird things happening, and then they built a song on top of it. What did you think of the song? It, I think it was catchier than the first one we listened to. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit more memorable. To give you, the listeners, an idea of my bias, I will say that Who Could Win a Rabbit by Animal Collective is easily my top five songs of all time. When I first heard this, and I, by this point I already had the first album, I was following their career, I was checking out every release they had, I was really excited that I loved Fat Cat, Mum, another band, which hopefully... I we, remember Mum. I love Mum, and hopefully maybe maybe we could do an episode about them sometime. But yeah, I was really excited to hear this album. I bought it when it came out, and when I heard Huku and a Rabbit, I was immediately an uh, obsessive fan. Like, to me, that song, I never heard anything like it. It's so It has weird time signatures. It's This is also... Okay, so we're talking about 2004, I think Freak Folk was a real big thing. Yeah, Freak Folk was definitely the thing at that time, too. Um, I remember the that fall. What was it? Yeah, it was that. No, it was that spring. They had the Glad Tree Festival at Hampshire College with a lot of, uh, like, Matt Valentine played, the Sun City Girls. Um, I think Ben Chasney from Six Organs of Admittance played. Um, I definitely saw him at Hampshire College around that time. Tara Stock did a... Uh, I don't know if that festival is still happening or not, um, or if that magazine that it was doing it is still is still going. But <laughs> they not. had a they they did a like they did their their biennial festival in Boston that year. So like all these crazy like psych bands were just like stopping off in Western Mass on their way to and from Boston. So it was like this insane two weeks of shows. We should let the listeners know uh, we, we live in Western Massachusetts. Yeah, we're, we're from Western Mass. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of our, our references on things can be uh, Hampshire College will probably come up a lot. Smith College will probably come up a lot. UMass will come up a lot. Uh, Amherst, not so much because nothing happens there. <laughs> so if so if uh, to, you know, me and Mike were uh, about 30, 36 and 40 respectively. Yeah, so we were, I, I was a... We were in our twenties when this came out. Yeah, yeah, you were. Yeah, you were a few years younger than me. Yeah, and um, I had been doing college radio at the UMass station and the Holyoke Community College college radio station for, you know, since like '96. So I had had like several years of dedication to indie music and underground music. So yeah, freak folk was definitely a big thing around this time in 2004. Also. Animal Collective is kind of in the noise scene as well, and a, a friend band I would say of Animal Collective is Black Dice. And yeah, I remember they were kind of hand in hand for a little bit. And they definitely were doing a lot of CDR releases. Yeah, and they did a split together, and they did side projects together. So yeah, Animal Collective definitely was in the freak folk 
realm, which was really big then, and they had a foot in the noise scene as well. And what's interesting too, because as we said earlier, Mike here is really into noise. When they were going on tour during Sung Tongs to promote the album and, and play all around the country, uh, a lot of people in the noise scene really hated them. And I saw in an interview on YouTube where... I think I remember that being like their sellout album. Yeah, actually. definitely. And it's, and uh, they said a, a, a music professor came up to them and he was like, I teach noise music. You guys are not noise music. And, you know, we talk about Animal Collective being out of left field and they're being trailblazers. Like they, they created their own genres. They With each album, they created a fresh sound. And I think that... A lot of people who were kind of like older didn't like, you know, you always hate the music that comes, you know. Right. And so for a lot so, of. But I, I, that's also a thing I remember like, oh, yeah, you know, you listen to noise music. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, like Animal Collective and Lightning Bolt. And I'm like, no, they play songs. <laughs> they're not noise. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, yeah. So they had a lot of feet and a lot of water. Yeah. I will say that, like, we can have a discussion about what is hipster music and. You know, we need to have a discussion about what is hipster music. Yeah, because I think fifteen years ago, <laughs> fifteen years ago, <laughs> what was hipster music? I guess that like, to me, this is a cool. This is a cool album, and if you were like, if you were into music, it was, it was definitely like this was like pre. No, this was like right as Pitchfork was maybe yes. starting, and like this kind of internet nerd music nerd was just that seems to be like a kind of like a present aspect of our culture now. And it's like, you know, like I think everyone knows that like that internet nerd hipster that's like, Oh, they just know everything before, you know, they just have to know everything before it happens. And like, they're checking like pitchfork reviews every day for yeah. like, what's going to be great. And like, what should, and what will be cool. Um, and like animal collective was definitely a band that I remember probably this is why I never really bothered delving exactly, into them. Exactly. It's like I remember like my friends having their CDRs in like 2002, 2003 and Avi Tayer and Panda Bear records and it was I remember it being kind of confusing. And then like Sung Tongs came out and I remember like my circle of friends kind of being like, "Oh, this is it was it was divisive. People were split on the album. They were they didn't have a shared opinion. It wasn't um Again, yeah, that year, the, I remember they played the Hampshire College uh, Spring Festival or Spring Concert. Yeah, spring Concert they have every year. Yeah. And and they played with uh, Ariel Pink, who for the longest time I thought was a part of Animal Collective. Yeah, they're definitely But friends. he was like totally like a West Coast guy just kind of doing a similar thing. Um, and people being like, oh, people, and it was split. Like people went and they're like, oh, it was awesome. And then people would go in and they were like, oh, it was terrible. I saw them like two months ago doing the same material and it was just they were just had a bad day it was just a bad show for them i'm so glad you brought the divisiveness because as you can tell i'm the super fan here yeah and that to me this was the only band that mattered they covered all these they they were noisy they were folky they were avant-garde and to me at that point i was sold on the kool-aid they were my favorite band so to me I, i was divisive at the other end as if if Animal Collective was not your favorite band, then I didn't really have time for you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's check out one more clip off uh, Sung Tongs, and it's going to be a short song, so maybe we'll just let it play out. It's only about a minute long. Uh, the song is called... Pikachu, I Love You. The song is called Sweet Road. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's check, let's check it out. Sweet Road.
The first, no, because it's it's poppy, but there's like, I don't know. The other stuff was just it was like it was very twee. It was very twee poppy with like these weird like really complicated free jazzy drumming, and this stuff is like way more intense on uh, being like this dense, heavily psychedelic music. You know, it's the difference between you know getting stoned on a sunny afternoon. Versus having kind of a bad trip inside a Toys R Us to me. Oh, definitely. So we should talk about, I mean, unfortunately, we're only going to hear a song and a clip from Sung Tongs, but this is definitely a drenched psychedelic album. Yeah. There is some long tracks on here. There's some weird tracks on here. It definitely is very drug influenced. And for those of you who don't know Hampshire College, it's kind of a super liberal arts school where you know, you probably do find mushrooms and acid very easily. Probably, so, yeah. So when Animal Collective came and played, it was total mayhem, and it was. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go to that concert? I was there, and 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 again, like at this point, when Sung Tongs came out, I was, like I said earlier, I was a super fan, and to me, this album. And you said that came out in May, so this concert was like just barely a month before the album came out. Yes. So a lot of people weren't expecting this material. Like I said before, with the divisiveness, like at this point, this band was the most important band to me. They were the coolest band to me, and that, you know, if if you didn't think Animal Collective was cool, I didn't, I had no time for you. I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't respect your musical taste. Even. <laughs> and and Sung Tongs to a lot of, to a lot of Animal Collective fans. Funny enough, as we get into the discography more, we're gonna hear more songs that are more well put together, more thought out. This is still kind of in their loose realm of like trippy psychedelica so oh i was gonna i I wanted to point out like other stuff that was um doing really dense uh folky kind of psychedelic music around 2004 there was uh dirty projectors had their second album uh i'll have to footnote that record i can't remember the name of it we're gonna do a dirty projectors um episode for sure. there was a uh, oh that'll be great because i could dig out the cd of him like doing solo acoustic on my my old radio show um but yeah like that album was really dense and took me a long time to understand it but it was like kind of like an enjoyable delving into it because it was like i like this but why do i like this yeah and uh, finding like the hooks that were buried in all this like really angular jarring songwriting and then um devandra banhart's second album that was recorded like at bob dylan's house with some super producer um came out around that time and that was well his earlier recordings from like oh three his solo four track recordings were 
kind of like a very distilled version of what Song Tongs had going on, where it was just like maybe one or two guitar tracks, and then he was doing this weird uh, overlaid vocal. You know, he was singing two tracks, and he wasn't syncing up his vo- his singing. So he would like record the guitar parts and then sing, and then he would go back and re-sing the song. So it wasn't matched, and it was like this really kind of magical way of. And that's a little bit. I mean. Devander Bernhardt was working by himself, and here we have we right. Taron Panabear working together as a duo, as a duo, and kind of doing a similar thing. Yeah, uh, you know, I would like to say a few more things about the album. That um, right after they recorded "Who Could Win a Rabbit" and they did the playback, Av Taron Panabear were just cracking up at themselves. That holy crap! What do we just What do we just make? What is this <laughs> What is this beast we just recorded? What is this song we just did? And uh, you know, as we talk about Animal Collective Two that this was still, we mentioned the other band members, I just want to point out still that we're still on that John Lennon, Paul McCartney brotherhood of A.V. Taren Panda Bear, and that now instead of having an A.V. song, you, we're having an A.V. and Panda Bear song. So that's what most of the Sung Tongues is. They're the only ones to perform on this album. And that this album was recorded on the same Tascam that A.V. used for the first album. Okay. And... <laughs> They recorded in Baltimore and at a friend's house in Colorado. As you can tell, the production value got a little bit better. Probably got better mastering. They probably bought better mics. They probably bought better mics. <laughs> Use that cash advance to get better microphones. <laughs> so maybe that brings good leeway into Animal Collective's sixth studio album, which is an album called Feels. It was also on Fat Cat. It came out on October 18th of 2005. And to give you a little bit more perspective here... Uh, the number one hit that week was Kanye West featuring Jamie Foxx, Gold Digger. Jesus. She gave me money. I, I'm <laughs> glad you have like this recollection and connection to like top 40 hip-hop that I don't. Because <laughs> you could just say Kanye West, and I was like, wow, 2005, he was already started. This was the... Th- this was... I mean, Kanye had Through the Wire, but but this was Kanye's first like international hit. And uh, me, personally, I just moved to New York City, and then this album came out. And like I said before, this I was a super Animal Collective fan. And for those of you who are Radiohead fans, when you heard when you heard OK Computer and you're obsessed with it, and then Kid A came out, now we have Feels, and we have like another jump from Sung Tongs to Feels. So let's so this had the uh, the jungle breaks on it. <laughs> well, you tell me what you think about this beat. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna play you a song called "The Purple Bottle," and uh, let's give it a listen.
Sometimes you're not talking to me, but I know.